my friends. The great experiment. If you could hit a drink, drink. Would you look at that? The greatest drink, drink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Oh boy, Adam. Lots going on. You were throwing towels on the floor moments before we heated up the mics. Discerning viewers will be able to tell that there is dripping happening in my <laughs> studio. Like I'm, I'm yeah. looking at the dripping coming through the door. It's incredible. I can't can't believe how wet the studio is. Look at me, Ben. Look at me. Now my studio is wet like yours. Yeah. Did you bring Seattle with you when you moved to LA? Is that what happened? It sucks. (laughs) I I can't stand it. (laughs) We're having weird, unseasonably cold and wet weather here in Los Angeles. And that's really what the show is about, right? The show is about us taking silicone cock to every part of our homes <laughs> for the foreseeable future. Come for the Star Trek, stay for the cock. Yeah. God, I can hear it. I can I can just hear the drips. <laughs> so fucked up. I can't stand the ride. This rainstorm though is like never ending story say my name quality. Like it is just coming down in sheets right now. I've got the yeah. blanket over me. I don't know what to say on the show today that will make it all stop. Please! Save us! I was at the, uh, at the doctor's office yesterday, and uh, after my checkup, I was uh, out in the, the like waiting area where you settle up with your copay. And Did you do a bit, Ben? <laughs> I did do a couple of bits, uh-huh. but... All of the like nurses and you know assistants and everyone were like running around excited. They're like, "Did you hear it's hailing?" And they all like went and like pushed their noses up to the glass because like hail was coming out of the sky. And they're a bunch of people that grew up in Los Angeles. They've never seen that before. I had to evacuate a driving range yesterday during that hailstorm. <laughs> I'm up there swinging a golf club like an idiot during a hailstorm, and I'm like, finally, I'm just fuck this. I I just took off. <laughs> I left my bucket there. Were any of the hails the size of golf balls? Did you accidentally hit any hails? You know what? That would have been fun. Yeah. That would have been great. Me and Dennis Quaid, we got the hell out of there. I got really nervous for a second there, Adam, because you were about to start telling a story about evacuating. And when you tell a story about that, it can really go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. It goes in the uh, in the poop sombrero direction, for sure. <laughs> Are you drinking Tang? It looks like Tang, right? It really looks like you're drinking Tang right now. Tang! It's a kick in a glass. It's not orange juice, it's citrus juice from Trader Joe's, and it's like a combination of many citruses. Oh, wow. I've been having a glass every day while I've been sick, and uh, probably not doing anything, but it tastes good. (laughs) Getting my blood sugar up. Yeah, we're falling apart, man. No kidding. You're on the on the upswing. Didn't it seem like seasons of Picard were about the aging process pretty specifically, and the third season kind of isn't? <laughs> I mean, they did that thing about like them having stiff joints when Riker and Picard were about to go shoot bad guys when they uh, first boarded the 
Mariposa, right? I think it's not fair when you get a golem body to be afflicted with all of the old age things that a human body gets. That's shitty. Yeah. Dr. Soong fucking sucks. They made a big deal about the idea that he was going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and that they were he was going to age normally. Yeah. And he should have been like, why? <laughs> why would you do that to me? So there is no benefit at all to the golem. None whatsoever. <laughs> Ever since the last episode of Star Trek Picard season one, this is more of a, a warning than anything it else. It really right? is. Yeah. Is that our future? We need to get ourselves aligned with the golem people sooner rather than later. We've got Friends of DeSoto in the intelligence community, in the music community, in the uh, acting community, in the production community. But what we need are the Gollum people. Yeah, anybody working on Gollums in an R&D laboratory somewhere, send us an email. Um, Yeah, so I went, I I then had to go get an x-ray after that, and I went into the, like, Mm -hmm. room where radiography is done at my uh, medical provider. And I said, did you guys see the hail? And it's like an interior room (laughs) that's all dark and has no windows. And they're like, there was hail? Oh, no one told us. (laughs) So exciting for Southern California to get the hail. (laughs) We're like bored when we see a celebrity at the grocery store, excited when little chunks of ice come out of the sky. I know. I I like this life. It's a real magical place. (laughs) I like this Southern California lifestyle. Well, do you want to get into um, this episode of Star Trek Picard? I really do, Ben. Let's do it. It's Star Trek Picard... Season three, colon, the final season, colon, episode four, colon, <laughs> no, win, scenario. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Let's fly. Things were super bleak at the end of the last episode, right? We were flipping toward the center of the space butthole, but that's not where we begin this episode. We're five yeah. years ago in 10 forward. Yeah, Picard is being served a plate of hot food, critically. This drove me nuts. (laughs) This is like maybe the one case to be made for the sandwich is that you can, you know, you can hold forth to the cadets while your sandwich sits there. And it's not going to be any worse when you actually tuck into it than it was when it landed on your table. The show was so dark and contrasty. It was really hard for me to make out what he was eating. Can you tell? It looked like fish and chips on my television set. Tell me, how spicy are the enchiladas? (laughs) He referred to it as haddock later in the episode also, which I was like, haddock? How about a beer-bettered cod? What the fuck are they serving in 10 Forward? Haddock. I mean, maybe that's their specialty. (laughs) There are a lot of places in Seattle that specialize in the fried fish that is uh, not the premium fish, just the haddock-style fish, and it's really good. You're a fish classist is what you are. Fried fish is good no matter what. I'm just saying, like, if you're going to have fish and chips, have fish and chips. I felt a couple of ways about this. Picard sitting in a booth alone. I love a booth. Good spot by him. He probably got it because he's a VIP. But the thing about being a VIP eating in public alone is, like, sadly, I think you're asking to call attention to yourself, right? This isn't a guy who wants yeah. privacy, but it's not a guy who doesn't want privacy either. Right. Yeah, he's kind of just dangling himself out yeah. there. 
But I mean, from the look of it, there weren't any cadets in there when he decided to sit down for That's a meal. True. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they're plying him for old war stories while his food gets cold. Yeah. One of them is about how he fought the Banes. <laughs> that was exciting. Did you ever find out how they got to the quadrant? Thermal Janeway offer any advice? I wonder if that refers to like one of those novels set in the Star Trek universe or Oh, I like that idea. What. Yeah. Pointing to a comic or something. Yeah. That's cool. That'd be cool. He claims he's not one for telling stories, so he he tells a very brief story that is more just a lead-in for a stirring captain speech. Yeah. And that's the kind of oration that he's very comfortable with. Totally. He's that good kind of manager that's all about the employees you work with. It's all about fostering those bonds, making sure that you've got the right people in place to get you through your worst moments. And we smash cut to his worst moment <laughs> in worst moment race. Yeah. To giving that sinking feeling yeah. as the Titan tumbles end over end toward the middle of this anomaly that they're in. They're bonking into junk along the way. Like, it's yeah. this is not a, a gas cloud only. There's stuff in there. Yeah. They're particles, big particles. And everyone kind of agrees that it's just a matter of time. Like, systems are crashing. You know, usually on Star Trek, you can divert power from one thing to another and get yourself out of a jam. There is no power to divert. Like, yeah. there's so little of it to go around. What are you going to do here? And Riker. You know, seeing the writing on the wall has to make the decision, like, do we keep moving what little power we have around to things that don't matter, or do we just give ourselves time? Like, move all the power to the life support so that we have a few hours to get our affairs in order. Yeah, so that's what they do, and they buy themselves a few hours. I thought a lot about the fact that they probably didn't want to blow budget on building the engineering section. Yeah. Because a lot of this is about how the engineering section really took the brunt of their own torpedoes when they shot themselves in the ass. Right. So that's all fucked up. They don't have warp power, and it's just whatever's left over that they're using to buy themselves these couple of hours. But while they're talking about this, they get an optical banger, a light banger, gets dropped on the ship, and uh, they refer to this as a bioelectrical wave. Once again, we're talking about how there's some sort of lifelike things about this nebula. You know how chrono is about time? Bio <laughs> is about life. And we keep hearing this word thrown around, and no one really interrogates it any further. Right. Somebody could have said life travel, and we would have known what they were doing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> What's more is when this slight banger hits, the Bajoran at a station is like, look, the more of these we absorb, the worse our shields are going to get. So why don't we just lower the shields so at least we have the choice to put them up later if we have to. And, and Riker makes the difficult decision to go ahead and lower them. What's the harm anyway? Yeah, we're alone out here. Let's drop our trow, you know? Yeah, no one's seen the Shrike for a long time. So he goes down to talk to Picard, who, if you'll remember, they had a very bad interaction last time <laughs> they talked. Moments ago, Riker blamed Picard for killing them all. And uh, he's like, you know, tumbling down into the gravity well of this nebula really reminds me of lowering my son's coffin into a hole in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not like this scene? Because I loved it. I loved this scene, but 
<laughs> then when I wrote down what was happening in it, I laughed at the, like, <laughs> I think that that's like kind of the strength of this scene is that that is a very silly simile yeah. <laughs> to be drawing the scene around. And I, I found it very powerful as performed and presented. Yeah, I mean, Frakes playing Haunted is a gear I didn't know I craved as much as I did when I got this scene. I watched the coffin being lowered into the ground. It was only six feet, but it was so dark. It was like infinite emptiness. And I love how he steps all over Picard, the way I step all over you on the show. Like, he won't let Picard (laughs) say anything. Picard looks like he's attempting to apologize, but Riker Mm. does not give him the space to do that. Instead, he goes into this story about how he doesn't believe in an afterlife. And that's the reason that he is at empathic heads with his wife. That's a great point, number one. Yeah, he ran from his marriage because of that. And now they're going to die. And he kind of feels like the thing he was running away from is the thing he ran right to. Yeah. And again, he takes this as an opportunity to really insist that Picard get one interaction under his belt with the son he didn't know he had before it's all over. For me, I think it has been a given while watching Star Trek that this is a group of people that are mostly science-based in their outlook, in their views of the universe, and that you know many times they'll encounter races religiously based, and they won't laugh at those people. But there will be like a tacit understanding that future people believe in science and past people Mm -hmm. take the religious route. And I think it was shocking to see what I had suspected to be the truth about crew people actually articulated by someone. And I know this isn't true for everyone, but for Riker to tell his story about the casket and about how his worldview wasn't affected by it. It was confirmed. I thought it was a great moment. Yeah. Not only in the show, but like for me personally, like there is room for people who have that kind of outlook. And it was interesting to see someone grapple with that in the moment with a close friend. And use it as a, in making a larger case about how he regrets the way he spoke to Picard earlier. He feels he should have like taken his counsel more seriously, but also he really wants Picard to, you know, go interact with this new person in his life. Right. And so it's a, it's a heavy duty scene and it's a, a scene that I think makes the last episode was, I, I think we both agreed was felt really uneven yeah. relative to the first two feel a lot stronger in retrospect. Before we move away from this scene, I think before this, Frakes' best moment as Riker, as an actor, was best of both worlds when he's talking to Guinan. I thought, like, the way he articulated his feelings about a person in that moment felt as real and as true as anything he's ever done up until this point where I think this either matches or exceeds the reality for him. I thought it was just extremely powerful and maybe his best work. I personally thought his best work was on Lower Decks, but, you know, 
different strokes, I guess. How about you buy me a drink? Drink, drink, drink. Would you look at that? Seven is down hunting golds, and uh, she goes into the room where the person that the gold was impersonating lived. Yeah. This dude has Calto. Yeah. He's not even a Vulcan, and he's got, he's like that kid from, like, grade school that had like a Sega master system before anybody else. Cause like their family went to Japan, you know, are you saying Kalto rules or Kalto sucks for the comparison to the Sega master system? I think Kalto rules. <laughs> it's above his headboard, which I think is a strange place to put it. Right. Yeah. It's also like not complete. Yeah. You know, it's like seeing a Rubik's cube unsolved and it's like, are they ever going to solve it, or is this just a prop in their life? I think one of the things that unintentionally cuts against the moment is the frugality of Star Trek means that this is a redress of Seven's quarters from earlier. And I was, for the moment, confused about why she was going back into her own quarters armed. Like, I, oh. thought, I thought maybe there was someone that was going to be waiting for her there. Yeah. Because they look identical. And why is that dead guy in her quarters? <laughs> Did she kill him? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when she finds the body stuffed behind the panel, that's really the moment where that became clear to me. I'm an idiot, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so she goes to Riker, and he's like, well, I could give you your job back as the second in command on this ship, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think you'd be more effective working in an unofficial capacity on this, so I'm not going to. Yeah. There's an interesting conflict between them because Riker's like, you know this doesn't matter, right? Like, we're all of the understanding that we're just waiting for death, so what's the point of telling anyone about this changeling on board? It's just going to make people upset. And besides, like, if there is a changeling on board and we're all going to die anyway, the changeling lost. Their mission right. failed. They're going to die with us. So who cares? And changelings famously hate dying. Right. But still, given that they have all this time, what's the harm in telling Seven to just kind of be his private mercenary on this thing and, and hunt this thing down? No harm in like that. If you, if, if you want to like distract yourself from <laughs> our impending doom, go sick. Personally, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna try to record messages to my wife. Uh, Jean Luc <laughs> is gonna try to bond with his son. You, you, Hugh can go Wait, try to kill this it. changeling. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, you might think in the next scene that Beverly is talking to Seven. But she's not. Yeah. She's just counting down. You might think that she's at the foot of a bio bed and, and there's a, a person giving birth in stirrups and she's counting the contractions. <laughs> no, she's counting the banger contractions. Yeah. Right? She's sort of the Jeff Goldblum of this episode. Mm, yeah. She's picking up on a pattern that nobody else has even thought might be there. And the clock is ticking. I like the continuation of this thing between Picard and Beverly because when Picard walks in, like all the moments between them are mostly nonverbal. And this is one of them. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Jack is going to talk to Picard now. So they, they head off together and uh, we cut over to Shaw's quarters where he's just having a bum out sharpening a knife. <laughs> Is this a suicide knife? 
like Worf's like poison dipped one. I mean, it's it appears to not be a Klingon knife, but I can't say I'm a hundred percent certain it isn't Klingon adjacent and maybe it's yeah. ceremonial usage. You know? Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Shaw has planned with this knife. I mean, Janeway said that's one of the things you do as captain is go down with the ship. Mm-hmm. I think. I'm contradicting myself, and I'm going to say that uh, that is not a suicide knife. Maybe it's a home defense knife. Maybe he put Riker in charge so he didn't have to go down with the ship. Great call. Back to suicide (laughs) knife. Okay. (laughs) Suicide knife. (laughs) Suicide knife. (laughs) Uh, You really got to try hard to get into Shaw's quarters, don't you? You really do. Don't come. Seven tells him about the changeling, and she's like, I I was on Voyager. I wasn't on DS9. I have no <laughs> fucking idea what's going on. Yeah. So he kind of, like, talks to her a little bit about this. It's fun. Like, her non-official capacity inspires her to bring on a partner in a non-official yeah. capacity, and that's Shaw. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Riker is uh, in the observation lounge trying to record his O'Brien letter home before the battle. It goes like uh, John Favreau's voicemail message in Swingers. Like he, he cannot. Oh, get this so right. uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> she is definitely not going to date him after this. <laughs> Deanna, I want you to know. Fuck! It's really shocking to see a character known for being confident and articulate just like stammering his shit out and struggling with organizing his thoughts in this moment. I mean, it's a really short scene and it might get buried after the scene he had with Picard earlier in terms of like performance. But again, I'm like, I'm aching for Riker here in this moment for what's happened. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there's a good way to say what he feels he must say which is don't do a 23 in me ever (laughs) ever ever in the holodeck picard and jack make a 10 forward program and the elephant in the room is where is the power coming from for this yeah how about this retcon there's batteries that are special just for running holodecks in times of great crisis because you might need to like, let Calgon take you away when your ship is plummeting into the gravity well of a nebular. This fake place is as good as any to die in, I suppose. It's a real oxygen masks on an airplane story in Fight Club kind of moment, right? Like, if you're at the end of it on a ship, why not get your crew as docile as possible for those final moments? Yeah, just go drink some Jamesons and tell some stories. If you turn off the safeties in the holodeck, do you get real booze? (laughs) Because they make a big ceremony about like Jack not liking wine. He likes cheap whiskey over ice, which is cool. I like cheap whiskey on ice also, but like, is it doing anything? Uh, Yeah, I've I've got to be honest. I'm not really a wine guy. The other elephant in the room is whether Jack's hair is going to fall out. And Picard is like, that comes from your mother's father, not from your (laughs) father. This is the future. Everyone should understand basic genetics. (laughs) There are moments between Jack and Jean-Luc that really like 
weave back and forth between like the sincere attempt to get to know a person and like the person you're trying to dig shit out of changing the subject into something more comfortable. And I think Picard as an old does a thing that is familiar. I think when an older person wants to ask about a younger person's life, which is ask a question so open-ended it can't possibly be answered. Like tell me about yourself is a terrible question in this context. What's it like being you? (laughs) Yeah, like, wrong question, Picard. And he quickly realizes this and pivots into a question that will get a great interview response, which Mm -hmm. is, why did you decide not to know me? Yeah, we do not get an answer to this, do we? No, because Jack changes the subject into uh, something about an Andorian and his broken antenna. Yeah, he, t- he says that Metallus 4 is a vile place, which is like a very, very like emotionally heavy scene for their, the writer's room to be roasting their boss yeah. in. <laughs> it's a real piece of shit. This place is a dump. <laughs> it's one of those things where he like starts telling the story and the audio fades out. Yeah. It's like, wait, I wanted to know. Why is it so bad? It's the sort of place where everyone's nice to its face, but as soon as they turn away... it's the sort of place that wants to get mendocino farms every fucking day and we're sick of fucking mendocino farms (laughs) i'm not gonna let them eat those tacos i'm going in there before somebody gets sick you're gonna kill people (laughs) my wife finally put down her foot on the bar rescue before bed like bar rescue not allowed to be on tv as we're winding down and this makes me very sad (laughs) my favorite part of bar rescue is how transparent they are about the talk in the car they have that is not outside the bar they're going to it's in a fucking garage (laughs) And it's climate controlled and they're watching the iPad of the stuff and there's nothing on this iPad. Like you can see where they like pulled the little like edge uh, vectors in in, uh, Adobe After Effects to superimpose the image on the iPad. It's so great. I love it. One of the people we have a rap beef with, Adam, Jordan Morris Uh of the reviled Jordan Jesse Go podcast was on Bar Rescue as one of the spies one time. Holy shit, that's amazing. Yeah, he went down to like a bar in like Orange County with another podcaster and they like tried out this bar and then like came and like leaned in the window of the SUV and told John Taffer what they thought of it. But Taffer always introduces his spies as like, we got a local news anchor (laughs) who wants to order a Cosmo. Yeah. He, he was like, these guys have podcasts, so they could influence a lot of people. A lot of people could come to this bar. These guys are podcasters. A, if- no one knows what they look like. They're perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares uh, what they think. Yeah. I'm so jealous of that credit of Jordan. God, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'd love that. The changeling, Adam, was impersonating a transporter chief. Yeah. Because he thought no one would notice a transporter chief was acting weird. Sort of the podcaster of mm. a starship. Like nobody really knows what they look like. Yeah. <laughs> Not that influential. No one ever socializes <laughs> with them. Yeah. This is an instructive scene. Like 
We haven't seen or heard from changelings in many years on Star Trek, and so Shaw has got to teach the viewer about what they're about. And Seven. Yeah. They're goo people, walking, talking clay dough. They can replicate a person on site. And he's like, so they can look exactly like someone, but they might not know all the same things that a person would know. Or, for example, their personality might not be perfectly reproduced. Like, for example, and he demonstrates changeling behavior by pretending not to be an asshole. And she's like, oh, I get it. <laughs> Great moment. <laughs> I'm liking Shaw more and more. He's just the he's the best. <laughs> He's like the comedian that digs themselves a hole at the beginning of the set and then just digs themselves out over the course of the rest of it. Like, I hated him in episode one, and now, like, I might be getting ready to join Team Shaw. His self-awareness is what makes him lovable. Like, if he was just an asshole and he didn't know it, like, that is way worse, I think. Right. So the recommendation he comes up with is go find the bucket. The bucket is on the ship, and it's got residue in it. Sometimes... They leap behind like residue goo, like residue. That's pointing right at us, right? The word residue. Yeah. Shaw's like, do you remember that that toy that parents used to buy their kids where there would be like a bucket on wheels and he'd have little arms, you know, <laughs> covering up the hole in the top of the bucket and the kids would run around and like pick up these balls and put them in the bucket. They'd have these little shovels. And then they'd, and then they'd yeah. fly out all over the places. Great. I don't remember what the game was called. Uh, something, something, something bucket. But really, like, you, they just don't make games like that anymore. It's real, real fun yeah. stuff. <laughs> so Seven goes and tosses this bedroom. It's her second time in here. And this time it is like the quick cut montage of her just like opening drawers, pulling stuff out of closets. I love this shit. Put this in my veins. Did you think for a second that we were finally going to see a toilet? I thought for sure we were going to open up a door and it was Changeling using the toilet as the bucket. (laughs) Even though everyone knows on this show, we believe the waste materials to be beamed out of crew people. Yeah. We're working on a project for Chief O'Brien at work. John Adams of Chief O'Brien at work, the uh, very talented comics artist who also has designed some stuff for us, asked us if we wanted to write scripts for that webcomic. Is that what your comic's going to be about? Well, I, my first draft included some stuff about that, and I was like, hey, is this too gross? And he was like, yeah, I think it's too gross. I think mine is too sad. <laughs> I haven't sent mine in yet, but I think it's just very, very dark. Really? I've sent like three drafts in. I, I, I think that I've sent a final draft in. Oh, shit. I'm doing too much self-editing. I just got to get that done. Just send it to him and see what he thinks, you know? All right, I'll do that. So she finds the bucket, and we cut over to our one little moment with Vatic in this episode. Shaw doesn't have a Klingon knife. Vatic seems to. Is this the knife from Star Trek Nemesis, the one that that is being held up above the head on, on the box art? It looks so close to what that knife is. Man. I did not even make the Star Trek Nemesis connection, but you're right. It does look like that knife. Yeah. Uh, She cuts her hand off, and it's made out of changeling. And then she's talking to, like, change leader ghost head. Ghost face change leader. Oh, I like that. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Great vocal effects on this thing, too. I think sometimes, especially on new Star Trek, we'll run into an alien who has creepy voice, 
but it's yeah. so creepy you can't understand what they're saying. I feel like this face enunciates in a way that is better than the past ones that we've gotten. It repeats the word pursue about four or five times. Okay. So it's hard it's hard to miss what that it wants Vatic to do. <laughs> yeah. Also just very interesting to see Vatic in a very demure affect. Like yeah. Vatic has been so like devil may care, threatening because of how chaotic she is. And now it's very clear that she is taking marching orders from something that lives in her hand and is very scared of it and is like scared of it like to the point that when it tells her she is expendable, she agrees to pursue the Titan despite the fact that she will have to leave the whole gun behind. The hole in your proverbial chest. This scene kind of goes off on a tangent because when she asks what mean expendable, one of the uh, mask wearing crew people off to the side explains what it means in a way mm. I think we all can understand. It's like someone invites you to a party and you don't show up. It doesn't really matter. And it was interesting that that's the first time one of them has spoken a language <laughs> that we can understand. Will you give me the room to ask a stupid question here? Uh, yeah. Are we to believe that Vatic is a changeling herself? Or is Vatic of a corporeal type that does not have a hand, that instead has a changeling taking the place of that hand as kind of like an appendage? That was sort of what I was thinking, that Vatic isn't a changeling and is scared of the changelings, but there's a changeling living in her hand. This part about the fear is what I'm getting at, because if she was a changeling and she was talking to a changeling, it just feels like there would be less fear associated with this moment. Yeah. Because the changeling hierarchy feels very much up until this point like everyone's mostly on the same level. For an episode that doesn't give us any of the Worf and Raffi storyline, and for a series that has given us very little of Vatic so far, mm -hmm. I feel like we know a lot about Vatic's deal just based on this scene alone because she like gets her changeling hand back and then like turns around and walks back onto the bridge and is like right back in character as the crazy, chaotic, evil heavy that she's been up till this point. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? That's kind of the ultimate stranger she's got, right? <laughs> <laughs> like when she goes back to quarters. Mm, right. Like that's feeling a kind of way. I'm going to go back and flick the bean. <laughs> she does all that like extra, yeah. ex extra syllables in her vowels. <laughs> <laughs> Any of you crew members move. <laughs> and I'll flick this bean so hard. <laughs> we need to spoil a lot of black fast. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking 
all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood. But not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? Now you remember that, you hear? So we go back to the flashback five years ago, and Picard has now gotten into telling anecdotes about Darmok to these cadets that are hanging around. Then I realized that the Temerian's language was based on metaphor. I thought we would get the sequence where Picard's droning on and we cut back to the cadets and they're slowly growing a little tired of the stories. <laughs> but we never get Regretting that. Regretting that they asked. <laughs> yeah, like like they're wrapped the entire time. There's never a moment where it's like, oh God, like we've started a conversation we can't stop. It's all love. And then one of them is like, and wasn't there one where you and like uh, Ensign Crusher were in a shuttlecraft together? And he's like, oh, the one where we crashed on that desert planet and the guy was drinking the entire time, but we only found out later. And she's like, no, 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 no. Sorry, different Ensign Crusher, earlier uh-huh. Ensign Crusher. Yeah. Yeah, this is the no-win scenario, the titular no-win scenario. And when Picard begins to describe it, we cut back to the present. And we see other crew people from the Titan are kind of asking sheepishly if they can hunker down in there for comfort. Like, hey, you mind if I hit this (laughs) with you before I die? Yeah. I love the question, is this private? I mean, they didn't put these batteries in here just so like one old admiral could hog the holodeck. You got to be cool about this, right? It kind of sucks. If you want your last moments to be like five pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream and like a masturbation machine. <laughs> they don't have that in 10 forward. <laughs> it's subtle. Like you're just going to have to deal with Admiral Picard's 10 forward bar as your last moments. Yeah. They're kind of having this conversation around people now. And they've exchanged some stories, but Jack is like, I don't really think I needed that. Like, I don't know why you wanted to have this interaction. Like, you don't need me. I'm a loner, daddy, a rebel. There are things about me you wouldn't understand. (laughs) Things about me you couldn't understand. Things about me you shouldn't understand. And Picard is like, I think I... I actually wanted to do this for me. Yeah. And not really intrinsically for me. It's more so that next time I see Riker, I can tell him I tried. Yeah, he's 
All of this is just serving Riker. <laughs> You're right. This wasn't for you or for me. Or for any of these other crew people in here. The captain of this ship is up there not leading his crew. He's just writing and rewriting a letter over and over again. And for some reason, I felt the need to do this for him. Boy, you know who wasn't recording a log for a loved one was Picard. Like, haven't heard Laris's name in a couple episodes, huh? Mm. That makes me sad. Yeah. I haven't had much luck with romance lately. I mean, Laris is like capable enough that I I could just see her show up inside the nebula with the rescue ship. Like, yeah, I've been monitoring it the whole time. Laris was ready to walk away from Picard utterly and yeah. was made to be convinced into staying. Like, I think she's probably fine if Picard dies. Yeah, yeah. She's a very independent yeah. person. So Seven is like marching down the hallway with the bucket that she's found and she radios up to some laboratory that she wants to analyze the goo. And they're like, sorry, no can do. That lab is shut down due to the extreme lack of power on the ship. And she's like, God, it's like being on Voyager again. Jesus. You could take it over to the holodeck. Maybe turn that place into a laboratory. I mean, unless somebody else is doing something in there already. I'd personally be eating mint chip and... Fucking a jack-off machine. <laughs> in uh, in near-death moments on starships, you really want to be in close proximity to the holodeck, so it gets to be your choice. <laughs> Do you think there's always a person who's like ready to jump into the holodeck first in order to make it their death fantasy? Right, right. Yeah, you want to you, you want to put your quarter on the pool table. Exactly. First. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the quarter on the last wishes machine. <laughs> so she's like pretty openly talking about this in the hallway when an officer that just happens to be walking by starts shooting, kills someone else, starts shooting at her. She shoots back and hits it a couple of times. This is the changeling. It's looking like someone else now. And she lets it get away, man. I was really wondering about this. Like we have seen changelings get shot and killed. The previous changeling on this ship, yeah, for example. And Seven chooses not to kill this one for whatever reason. Is it just that she's so stunned? She's like, wow, the computer graphics have really come a long way since Deep Space Nine. That is really great looking. Whoa, these graphics are mind-blowing! I really like the creature design on the changeling this time. Like before we've seen Melty Face and some goo. But like, you know, when you get tofu noodles... <laughs> There's sort of like a tofu noodle makeup to this thing as it crawls through the crack in the corridor. I thought it was really interestingly done. Yeah, it looks great. So that thing is still on the loose. We cut back over to 10 forward where Picard is now telling young Jack Crusher about the elder Jack Crusher and Picard's like womanizing days as yeah. young men. <laughs> I was, I was thinking a lot about how the shuttlecraft story that they keep coming back to in this episode really just deserves to be its own short treks. Yeah. Like, like Jean and Jack, Jake a shuttle, you yeah. could call it. The, the short trek's called Booty Call. <laughs> <laughs> and like he's, he's telling the story and Shaw comes in to just roast them. And we find out like what has been eating Shaw this whole time. He's a 359 truther. 
Shaw, Robert Shaw, Quint from Jaws. That's what this moment felt like to me. Like this Whoa. is this is Jaws, right? For Captain Shaw. Like the entire world fades away. And there's Todd Stashwick doing this story. And it's his finest moment on the show. It's totally chilling to hear about. I like how they feather in the sound effects from the story while yeah. staying locked on his face. And I love the fucking spike of the ball at the end. Seems aimed at previous seasons of this show because when he says the real Borgs are still out there, yeah, that seems to indicate that like all of these weird new Borgs that we've been seeing lately, like they're a thing. But trust me, the cubes are still out there and they still worship a guy named Lacutus. Yeah. I'd say that the one way he really seems super different from Quint in this is that he has this mega dose of survivor's guilt on top of the trauma yeah. of 359 because he tells this story about how there was like one life raft and 50 people and only 10 seats. And he was lucky number Pips 10. Hips in the water. Blood <laughs> in the water. <laughs> yeah, blood in the water. And we're thinking about it from the mosquito's perspective. Yeah. When you see a Borg's eyes roll back white. <laughs> <laughs> like a flutter doll's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I love this performance. I talked about uh, Jonathan Frakes' hands on a previous episode. I really love, at the end of this story, how there seems to be a self-aware shame to the Shaw character in this moment, and he, and he can't help but cover his face with his own hand at yeah. the end of it. I thought it was just really elegantly done. Forgive me. At some point, asshole became a substitute for charm. It's pretty clear that Picard has been through this specific thing yeah. a few times. Like, he has a practiced approach to dealing with the person that wants to talk to him about Locutus, which is validate their pain and get the fuck out of the room yeah. as fast as he can. Believe victims of Wolf 359 is <laughs> basically his baseline. And so he like apologizes and clears out and then Shaw turns to everybody else. He's like, sorry, <laughs> kind of went off the rails. I guess, uh, just being a giant asshole is just kind of my personality. Anyone mind if I change the program to something <laughs> involving uh, ice cream and masturbation machines? <laughs> I uh, I have a little number where you can have a changeling as as your left hand, and it really makes masturbation quite exciting. <laughs> I am too old for your posting. Young minds, fresh ideas. Beverly has now figured out the pattern for these bangers, and there is a proposal that they can surf out on these waves that keep hitting the ship. And so they have a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where Beverly and Jack and Picard are like pitching this to Riker. This isn't the first time they've run into alive space beings before. Tin Man was one of them. Tin Man. But they quickly get to the point where maybe this is a pregnant man. 
Yeah, they had thought that the chunks of icy rock that they keep hitting in this nebula might be a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. Riker is just incredulous about even attempting to escape, right? There's so many obstacles. And look, wouldn't your time be better spent, you know, with some ice cream and some other things? (laughs) (laughs) And like, he finally needs to be grabbed by the lapels and told, look, like we can just wait and die of suffocation or we can at least try. Yeah, like he's trying to make the case that leaving a ship behind at least is good for our survivors. It looks like you were trying to record something there. If we're going to leave something behind, why don't you uh, why don't you play us what's so valuable? <laughs> and he plays it and it's the fucking answering machine recording from Swingers. <laughs> <laughs> we should just uh, hang out and uh, see where it goes because it's nice and, uh, you know, expectations. So, okay. Thanks a lot. You did a bad job, Will. <laughs> Troy's going to hate this. I thought that... Crusher coming with the heart in this scene and coming with the like, hey, we're actually really good at this. Let's have some faith of the heart here was really powerful. Beverly is like, for over 30 years, the sharpest minds, the hardest talk have occurred in these McLaughlin groups. And I think we could do the same here. We can get ourselves out of this situation. Riker is inspired by this and comes up with the idea that if they open the nacelles, maybe the bioenergy will charge up the warp core. And so they have a plan. It's a plan that Riker shares with the crew on the 1MC. Yeah, and uh, they're going to need help. And so Picard goes down with Seven to where Shaw is now back in his room. He's hobbled in his full leg cast back to his room. There's like a sort of game recognized game thing when Picard is an asshole to Shaw. Shaw's yeah. like, okay, now we respect each other on the level in which I can respect people. Captain Shaw, I realize that I'm the last person you want to see right now, but I need your help, despite the fact that you are indeed a dipshit from Chicago. You hear this all the time about bullies, like bullies will keep bullying until you bully back or punch them in the face or whatever. But, like, assholes are often the same way. Like, assholes only respect asshole. (laughs) So Shaw gets on, like, a mechanics creeper and goes under some equipment and is working with Seven on opening up the doors on the nacelles. And I guess the explanation for this is that he's the only person that knows how the ship works post-refit. Like, he knows things about the unique configuration of this ship that nobody else would what a weird fucking ship this is if neo constitution class is like a new saucer basically right but it's not a new saucer it looks like an old saucer like i guess a a new bridge module and some glossy floors but like the old nacelles yeah and it's a refit of the old titan also right yeah i don't know how this works i gotta go look at what the old titan looked like (laughs) To wrap my mind around this. Whatever this is, it's the reason Captain Shaw needs to get his own hands dirty in nacelle control. So they talk as they're starting this project that like they are now the linchpin of the plan. So if the changeling is still on board and still wants to stop the Titan from saving itself, it's going to want to come here. Yeah. And so 
we see Seven radio up something to Riker, and then it cuts to Riker ending that call yeah. up on the bridge. How elegant was this sequence as a editing construction? Like, I think it's really hard to make this not super jarring while also making it jarring enough for you to notice that, like, you are being intentionally kept from a piece of information while not yeah. making it seem like it was a mistake or something. I really wondered about it because it almost plays like something that they did shoot and then decided not to put in in the edit or something. It feels to me like it's the relationship between close up and wide shot because we're in close during the beginning and we're out wide at the end. And yeah. I feel like as a viewer of media, I think you're just conditioned to think that one thing is the beginning of a conversation and one thing is the end. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, and it's a very dynamic wide shot. Like Riker's yeah. like marching around on the bridge and stuff. Yeah. They uh, get ready for this and uh, Picard is going to take the con at this moment. Oh, loved seeing him sit down in that seat. Loved seeing him tell everybody to engage. It's been too long. Did you ever think Beverly was going to sit down for her own safety? Like, this is the part <laughs> where I was like, all right, everyone's got a seat. Beverly, you're not a young woman anymore. Like, you've already been injured on a ship. Like, are yeah. you still hurt? Someone give her a seat. <laughs> Beverly, you remember that moment under the waterfall. Maybe you can... <laughs> sit right here. <laughs> so we're back in the cell control and Shaw's on his back on a floor creeper basically unplugging fiber optic wires and when the nacelle doors open those are when the doors to nacelle control open and that's when Crash LaForge walks in and isn't it a little suspicious yeah didn't we just see her on the bridge didn't they just tell Riker they didn't need help yeah this is the trap that Seven and Shaw have laid. Right. They made a honeypot that a changeling just couldn't possibly resist. A, an injured man under a bunch of equipment on, on a creeper. Who could resist? And uh, Seven runs the Shaw test on Crash the Forge. What's my name? <laughs> and uh, when she gets it wrong, Seven shoots her. And uh, I thought it was very interesting that she went like bubbly for a second, but then died solid. Died as a body, yeah. That's intense. Yeah, and then another crew person enters, and Seven has another challenge question for them, uh -huh. and then blam. <laughs> and then another. Like, how many changelings are on the ship? No one knows how many. And this is my point, Ben. Like, by getting rid of this one, do they know that their problems with changelings are over? Well, at a certain point, they've piled so many bodies in front of the door <laughs> that nobody else can come in, so it's kind of a moot It's point. a version of the security strategy that we've come up with about just beaming more security people into a room than it can hold. Yeah. So the nacelles are open, the wave hits them, they get powered up. I thought that the tension of like navigating around the, the ice boulders was all really nicely done. The bet that Riker makes about turning off life support, thinking that they're going to get their power from the wave when it comes, I thought that was a great moment. Yeah. It's a real edge of your seat. Very well done. Exciting climactic sequence and it works and they power the ship back up and they're like just getting ready to turn the warp engines back on and the fucking Shrike shows up to spoil the party. Perfect. Perfect timing. Oh, that goddamn Shrike! It looks like they're on a collision course, 
but not for long. <laughs> because Riker's plan, you know, much like the Shrike took Beverly's ship and flung it at them earlier. Right. Riker uses the tractor beam to wing an asteroid right in the Shrike's face. Like if a ship had a face, yeah, that's where this thing hits. Hey, you guys. Vanek got a little taste of her own medicine. Yeah. Uh, I thought that the Shrike looked very like Tim Burton Batman-y when all the lights went off. I thought the same thing. Great call. Went on its own tumble. Yeah. She is just such a ball of emotion. Like when her crew are reporting that their warp engines are down and that they're dead in the water, the level of like closing in on herself that she gets across wordlessly is incredible. Did it change your feelings about her as the bad guy in this season to know that she was just serving a master instead of her own reasons? It's so strange to see a villain who is clearly under duress, but also seems to take great joy in doing the bad things when she's doing them. This is what I'm getting at. Like, it's such a interesting ball of feelings there within her. Yeah. Very cool. So the nebula has given its birth. It's turned into a whole bunch of little space calamars. And uh, <laughs> very like magical. <laughs> like, I, I was always like, I don't understand how this works. Because like you just redraw these squids in the lower decks art style. And this is like the silliest moment but it was yeah. like genuinely like I got goosebumps watching this it was so great you're totally right about this I think this is something that new Star Trek has struggled with over the years because the tone is so hard to get right without feeling like it's just too saccharine but the tone of this I think works where maybe it hasn't before because the relationship between effect like you're saying but also music which has always been good in new Star Trek. But finally, the characters that we've known for decades taking this moment in, and that's the final piece. That's the piece that makes this actually work, is that the thing they're looking at is affecting them, and because we care so much about them and we know them, that's what makes us feel. To seek out real life. And we pot back up another speech that Captain Picard was delivering to those cadets five years ago in that bar and a voice from the back of the room pipes up and it is Jack Crusher in a hat and a hooded sweatshirt asking you know whether Picard had any feelings about the need for family having just spent the entire time talking about his career and God, I thought that this was so interesting because you understand exactly why Picard says what he says, because he thinks he's talking to a cadet who is maybe concerned about like work-life balance as he goes into Starfleet and has been sitting there giving words of reassurance about like, you know, you'll be in tough situations, but you can persevere if you count on your crew. And when he says the thing about the family I've needed were the people that I served with. Like, that's not untrue for Picard, but it's also not what he would say if he knew who he was talking to. He took the hat off and he hid his head in his hands. You could tell he was crying. He kept saying under his breath, you can't fucking do that. I agree. I think 
it's the complexity of this moment that makes it great because it is not just a moment that Jack hopes for unrealized. It's not just something that Picard probably regrets saying to that specific person. That's a one-dimensional moment of conflict in a dramatic story, and I think most shows do fine with that. But it's the second part of this moment that hits so incredibly hard, and that is Picard is celebrated for the way that he hurts his own son. Yeah. That's not just the stab. That is the twist of the knife of this moment. That's the part that is the most full of regret, I think. And that's really great writing to not just stop at the first point of conflict, but to like go for the twist of it. It's not yeah. just that it happened. It's the way that it happened. It's great. Did you read Picard's performance when it cuts back to the presence as realizing who that was that he had said that to? That part is really ambiguous in a way yeah. that confused me. Does the show want you to believe that he knows? Or does the show want you to believe that he doesn't? I don't know. I wonder if we'll we'll, we'll circle back to that at any point. Yeah. Because I feel like it cuts to both of them after, like back on the bridge after that. This is a show that has established that nonverbal language is being spoken among family members. And we do get that sequence of shot, reverse shot between them that would suggest what you're saying. Yeah. We get another moment with Riker speaking to a plant that I get the sense is not going to be sitting around in a pot for much longer. Yeah. Troy is FaceTiming with Riker, and she's relieved that he's alive. And this is a moment where the show gives these two characters a lot of grace because this mission didn't solve all their problems. This wasn't an epiphany for Riker where all of a sudden what he believes about the universe has changed. Right. It's a start, though, and you can still be an atheist or a non-believer in an afterlife and still like appreciate the wonders of the universe in the way that Riker just has. And I thought it was a great moment for him. I did too. There's one more button in this episode, and that is Jack Crusher splashing water on his face, having another hallucination like he had when he was breathing that gas. But this time he's not breathing gas. He's just regular. <laughs> he's shirtless. That's not yeah. regular. Mm. Looking pretty tight. Yeah. He's shirtless. I've got the changeling wrapped around. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> so it's not called the stranger. It's called the changeling in this case. Uh-huh. <laughs> If you looked it up in Urban Dictionary or whatever. It sounded a bit like Vatic's voice this time. Didn't it? It would be consistent with an ongoing theory about why it has to be Vatic that finds him and gets him and why her hand was so specific about her need to do that. You yeah. Know? If it could only be her that does this. And there's some sort of mental connection between them. Yeah. Her hand was calling him the asset too, right? Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think the branches and stuff, are those meant to relate to what 
Vadik's hand turned into before it was a face? Like, are those related visuals in your mind? God, so many questions. Yeah. Yeah. But that's Sir Outshot. Find me. There's a lot of uh, effects work over the final moments of, like, the cut to black on this season. That's fun. Yeah, it's good stuff. Did you like this episode, Adam? I really did. I was feeling a little bummed after the last episode, both because I of the circumstances the crew was in. Like, it was a bummer episode for that reason, but also just my general feelings about how they did it. But I really enjoyed this episode quite a bit. I think the two... I mean, you can't say two central moments. There's only one center, I guess. <laughs> but this episode had those two great moments, Frakes in the beginning and Shaw in the holodeck, that are like the memorable moments that I'll probably always remember from this episode there. But yeah. the supporting scenes were also really interesting and strong. And this was an episode that ignored its B story completely, like... I understand why, because we're all about saving the lives of the Titan. I'm so glad we stayed there. Like, I'm fine with going back to Worf and Raffi in the next episode, but it was very striking how disruptive it was to do that in episode three. And just staying here in episode four, I thought was just a great, great decision. So yeah, really, really strong ep in this season. What about you? Totally agree. I think you put it really well. And yeah, I think I said this earlier, but I think that some of the perceived sins of the last episode kind of had to happen so that this episode could be as strong as it was. So it might make me rethink some of the things that I had misgivings about in the last episode. I'll definitely want to like re-binge the whole season to to check that uh, theory, but really had a great time watching this one. Yeah. You know what else I always have a great time doing, Adam, is uh, checking our Priority One inbox. What do you say we head over there? All right. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. I found these in a bucket, Ben. Mm. (laughs) These are gooey. First Priority One message here is from the Gooch. And it's two Greatest Trek misconnections. It goes like this. I was on vacation in Mexico. Bill Tilly was on the internet. I was asking Bill for your address. On the internet, cards were ordered. You were doing a code 47. The cards were opened. You gave credit to some rando from Amazon. Oh, no. I was in the wrong for lazily using Amazon. (laughs) So the misconnection was like an internet connection. Yeah, mystery solved. I I do remember getting something that we opened during Code 47 that we were like, well, there's no note in here, so it's just from the universe. But it wasn't. It was from the gooch. That's what the gift note is for on Amazon, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah. Maybe they don't have the gift note section when you're on Amazon in Mexico. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, weird. Weird connection. Yeah. Thanks for the cards, the Gooch. You're one of the greats. Thanks, Gooch. Indeed. Ben, our second priority one message is from Mac. (laughs) Mac. All right. It's to Mike. Message goes like this. Wow, wild to think that it's been three years since you said, the card is pretty cool. We should watch it sometime. A pandemic later... And now Trek nights every Wednesday are a pillar of our friendship. 
Wow. Thanks to Ben and Adam and all the FODs. It's been a bright spot in a rough couple of years. Here's to many more adventures in the final frontier. I love it. You know, it sounds like Mac and Mike watch Picard the night of, like at midnight. Oh, wow. If they're watching on Wednesday, right? Yeah, that's totally possible. Uh, But they could be in like a foreign country also where maybe the release, you know, like if they're like in New Zealand, would it be Wednesday or would it be Friday? I don't know how the timeline works. Now, there are chronometric particles involved. Yeah. In yeah. wherever Mac and Mike are watching. Time travel. So a friend of mine just went to New Zealand and she told me that the time difference is three hours from L.A. It's a, a different day, but it's a three hour time difference. So the jet lag isn't that bad. That's so cool. Yeah. I want to go. Let's I go. I really want to go. We should see if our friend and agent can book us a, a live show in, yeah. in New Zealand. That would rule. I would do it. I would, I would take a loss on, on that, that show. show. <laughs> <laughs> We're such bad business people. <laughs> uh, well, if you'd like to uh, help shore up some of the poor business decisions we make, you can do it by getting a priority one message on the show by going to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Lark? Shaw has just finished his... Wolf 359 rant, and there is a camera pan across the lower deck folks that have just been witness to this rant in the simulation of 10 forward. And that pan lands on this Vulcan dude with like a Prince Valiant haircut. (laughs) And the haircut was just so funny that I like laughed out loud. It was like it was like a tension breaker, you know. Like the 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 scene was so uncomfortable and and tense, and then this this dude with this dorky haircut was standing there watching the whole thing. So great. <laughs> so uh, Prince Savaliant uh, is <laughs> is my Edward Larkin for this episode. Great call, great call. How about you? Mine is going to be kind of for a moment uh, instead of a person. I think you and I are in agreement that this is really maybe the most crimson tidy episode of new Star Trek for its moment of crush depth, right? Like if mm-hmm. you were to compare the Titans slow flip into the center of the nebula as the Alabama's sinking to crush depth and crimson tide, I think the, uh, the comparisons are apt, but there's yeah. one moment in this episode that absolutely cements the comparison and that is when Riker tells the crew of the titan on the 1mc about the plan the music cue from crimson tide plays there whoa play this back i know you've remembered the theme to crimson tide it goes that part that part is in this show I'm only as effective as you are. And I also know from experience that if we all hang tight and work together, we're going to get through this. Fuck! I didn't notice that. And it's in that moment, and it gave me such chills to hear it. Like, someone there is making a submarine movie in this show. And it's great. I fucking respect it. I see you whoever made that decision, and I love it. 
I love it too. Adam, we've got one more segment here on the program. It's a segment we call Warning Boys. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning Boys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. We uh, hope folks out there will recommend the show in a way that invites like-minded potential friends of DeSoto into the fold while also making it clear that this is not the show for everyone. Right. We got a really nice review on Apple Podcasts that Wendy threw into the company Slack. This is from uh, Silverlining909. The best Trek show out there. These guys are not only the best and funniest Star Trek podcast, but the most original and enjoyable podcast I've ever listened to. Huge fan. Wow. That's great. I am tickled pink by a review like that. So, so kind. <laughs> I feel like we've been uh, having particularly good records lately. Yeah. I hope, I hope that translates for people. Like I've, I've been feeling like uh, we've been having just extra fun with the show of late. For sure. And um, if, if you enjoy the show and can spare a moment to, to leave a review, we really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, they really matter. Uh, on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else. The good reviews matter. And I think we remain the most and best-reviewed Star Trek podcast on Apple Podcasts, and we'd sure like to stay that way. Yeah. It helps uh, keep us up top of the algorithm. It it helps new friends of DeSoto find us. Yeah. So uh, much, much appreciated Silver Lining 909 and everyone else who's left one. Uh, We're going to throw the keys to guest editor Ryan, who will uh, take us out of here with some credits. Hey, thanks, Ryan. Later. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced by Wendy Pretty and edited this week by Ryan Whedon. Thanks to everyone who supports the show financially. If you'd like to contribute, the Max Fun Drive is right around the corner, and it's a great time to become a member. Visit MaximumFun.org slash join to learn more. Thanks to Adam Magusia for creating the original music that we use on the show. You can find his podcast and YouTube cooking channel by searching for Adam Magusia. Thanks to Nick Dittmore for the show art and Bill Tilly for managing the social media pages on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you're following at Greatest Trek and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. Podshop.biz is the place to go for merch, and you can connect with a lot of other friends of DeSoto on Discord at DrunkShimoda.com. We'll be back in your feed next Friday with a review of Season 3, Episode 5 of Star Trek Picard. Until then, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.